It's hard to believe we're in the Christmas season and it feels like spring break, isn't it? It's kind of weird. All right. Let's have a word of prayer and then uh, we'll get rolling. Heavenly Father, it's uh, an honor to be here today. And uh, Lord, I just pray now that we can all just kind of take a deep breath and relax. Uh, we just know the tension of uh, Christmas can sneak up on us. But Lord, just help us to focus on you and what you have done for us. Thank you for this uh, incredible time of worship, Lord, just to remind us of your presence. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Heard a tragic story the other day that I wanted to share with you. It was a, an older gentleman, and he was driving, and he had his trailer, had his big truck, and he had his trailer with his favorite horse, had his favorite dog by his side, and as he's driving, he hit a terrible slick spot, flipped the truck, flipped the trailer, and laid there in agony in a ditch. And uh, at about that time, just a few minutes later, a police officer showed up, and of course, there was just all kinds of damage. And, uh, and so they turned all this into the insurance. The problem was the insurance was willing to pay for everything except for a lot of his medical bills. So they had to hire a lawyer, and uh, he had to hire a lawyer, and they brought the two lawyers in to the judge to settle this claim to cover all of his health bills. And so the first lawyer stood up, and he said, I want to uh, explain, I want you to explain to me what happened. You had this terrible accident, and the officer who showed up he walked up to you, and I quote, sir, this is what you said. He asked you, how are you feeling? And you said, I feel great, never felt better. And the lawyer had a smug, a kind of a smile on his face, and he sat down. And the next lawyer stood up, and he said, uh, would you like to expand on your story? He said, yeah, I would. He said, um, I was laying there in agony, but he said, as the officer pulled up, and he was walking towards me, he saw my poor horse, who had broke two legs in this tailor, a trailer being flipped over, and he took out his gun and he put him down. And then he saw my poor little dog withering in pain, and he took out his gun and he put him down. And then he walked up to me and he said, how are you feeling? And I said, I've never felt better. <laughs> now, you know, here's the deal. Daryl Smith, how you like that? That was pretty good. Yeah. Here's the deal. So many times in life, we don't hear the whole story. And that's what we need to do today. We need to look at an individual's entire story because he's only mentioned a few times in Scripture. But I tell you what, Joseph, his life inspires me. There's three things about Joseph that inspires me, and I hope they inspire you. Here's the first. Joseph was a carpenter. He was a carpenter. We don't know this from the early text in Matthew, but we get into Matthew 13, and usually when they are making reference to Jesus, they do it in a derogatory way. In other words, they say, how could this man be so wise when, first of all, he's from Nazareth and he is the son of a carpenter? But I tell you what, I have a really soft spot in my heart for carpenters. Matter of fact, there's a lot of famous carpenters. Let's, we're going to show you a few right now. If you've ever been to Disney World or Disneyland and you walk into the town of Disney, the beautiful town of Disney, and you look up prominently in that window, you'll see on Main Street... Elias Disney, and that is Walt Disney's father, who was a carpenter. Or you may not know this, but there's a little movie coming out Friday. Anybody heard? Yeah, yeah. Well, here's an interesting fact. Harrison Ford was a carpenter for years, and he was putting in cabinets one day for a guy named George Lucas. And the guy that was supposed to get this bit role in this new movie didn't show up. So he asked Harrison Ford, would you read the lines for this movie? 
And he read the lines, and he said, you know what? How would you like to play this little unknown character named Han Solo? He made a wise choice that day. And then, of course, when you think of carpenters, you think of this famous carpenters, okay? How many of you here liked the carpenter? Let's pull that forward. There we go, yeah. Yeah, full disclosure, so you realize just how much of a nerd I was in junior high. Close to you is on my Christmas list. Yeah. So, you know, my friends are like, Leonard Skinner, Led Zeppelin. I'm like, Karen Carpenter, you know. I still think she's got the best voice. I'm just telling you straight up. But I'll tell you why I'm really fond of carpenters is because I, I just love to see what they do. I love to see how they do it. I wish I could pull every carpenter from Sherwood Oaks East and West together, every woodworker together in a room, and I would ask two questions. The first question is, what is it you love most about what you do? The second question I would ask is, what is it you do that will live on for generations. So if I had all the carpenters together, here's what I believe that they would reply. First of all, what do they love most about what they do? And I believe they would say, a job well done. When they can stand back from a project or a home or a huge site that they've worked on, and they know that that was a job well done, I believe that's what they love most. But second of all, you know what they pass on to future generations? They pass on things that will live on long after they're gone. Think how important that is. I have a very soft spot for carpenters because even though I cannot fix anything, my dad was a carpenter. And my mom was just so proud of my dad. Matter of fact, I can tell you uh, how many times driving around the Granite City area that my mom would always say, now, do you see that house over there? Yeah, your dad helped build that house. Do you see this grain bin? Your dad was a part of the team that built the grain bin. And I didn't even know till this week that my dad actually built the first two homes that, uh, again, I'm from the, a family of seven, but the six of them finally remember these two homes, and they said, oh, yeah, dad built those homes. We would live in the basement, all of us, until the rest of the house would get built up. And I'm like, wow, I never knew that. But here's my mom's proudest uh, building that my dad built, and that was he laid the bricks at the church that I, lived my, I grew up my whole life in. And my mom had a little Jewish in her because she would lay the guilt on me. You know, I can't believe you're acting this way. You know, your dad built this church, you know. So yesterday, uh, the, the Robertson reunion, we always get together in the basement of Pontoon Beach Church of Christ, a little church that holds about 100. And uh, I know where all the little nooks and crannies are. And so when I got there, I said, hey, Linda, I know another church owns this. She said, yeah. I said, but I'm going to get a brick. I'm not leaving here till I find a brick. And so she just dismissed me like, he's still that little Johnny, and he's going to get in trouble. But I, I found a storage closet, and I actually found a brick, and uh, found out the church was built in 1959. Now, this brick wouldn't mean anything to you, but it means a lot to me. Because is this, it's a reminder of a man who stood back one day, and he said, you know what, that was a, that was a job well done. And I, I don't think my dad had any idea. You know, that was in 1959, and I came in 1960. Surprise! <laughs> but I think back often about not just the bricks of that church. I think of Joseph, and I think of him walking with this little child. I, I see the sawdust in the air. I see this calloused hands, and I just see him teaching some of the most valuable life lessons to Jesus. Think how much a, a, 
a piece of furniture today would be worth if they could say, this is the furniture Joseph and Jesus built? What do you think that would be worth? You can't even, we can't even put a price tag on that. And yet what he taught Jesus with his skill, I think were lessons that helped Jesus for his entire life. I love the fact that he was a carpenter. I love the fact that he was a man of few words. Matter of fact, if you go back and you read every biblical account of Joseph, honestly, he never mentions Joseph's words one time. Think about that. Not one time. Now, you might say, I wonder why that was. Well, first of all, I'm going to step on some toes. He was a man, okay? They've proven this, ladies, so this isn't my statistics. These are out there. Uh, I heard this at a class. Uh, Women speak an average of 28,000 words a day. Men speak an average of 14,000 words a day. Nobody's laughing, but I thought, you need to hear this. So I'm sitting in this class, a seminary class years ago in Lincoln, and the professor shared that, and it was real quiet. And then this woman raised her hand in class, and she said, that's really easy. And the professor said, oh, why is that? She goes, because we have to repeat every word. <laughs> I didn't think it was funny then. I don't think it's funny now, okay? <laughs> we need to understand the power. Yeah, amen, yeah. It's the best amen we got all day. Words really do matter. The Gettysburg Address, 266 words. The government manual on how to purchase cabbage, 26,000 words. We live in a world obsessed with people talking where we really need to realize the power of introverts. There's a book title that I absolutely love, and it's by Susan Cain, and here's the book title. The Power of Introverts in a World that Won't Stop Talking. And she's an introvert, and she said, we don't realize the power and the impact of introverts. Just because they don't want to be up front doesn't mean that they're not making a huge difference in life. And she's absolutely right. Matter of fact, she said, here's when she realized she was a true introvert. She said, I was 10 years old, and my mom was sending me for a month to camp. So imagine a 10-year-old going to camp. And she said, and my mother, who was also an introvert, realized that our most uh, popular family activity was reading together. She said, our entire family would sit in the living room with books and read, and she said, it was wonderful. So here's what I thought camp was going to be like. I thought, I'm going to get to camp, and after they have their dinner, all the girls are going to go back in the cabins, maybe have popcorn, put on their pajamas, and read books. That's what she thought camp was going to be like until the first day of camp. She said, all of a sudden, this counselor comes bursting in, and she says, girls, this is our chant. This is what you have to memorize. R-O-W-D-I-E, rowdy, 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 and they screamed at the top of their lungs, and she said, I had two thoughts. Number one, why is she so loud? Number two, why is she misspelling the word rowdy, okay? <laughs> if you're an introvert, right now, you understand exactly what she was feeling. And there are so many times we don't realize the power of those that don't say much, but the depth of what they say. Think of the people in your life who speak seldom, but when they speak, you lean in because every word matters. I guarantee that you are impacted and you are currently being impacted by somebody that would be considered an introvert. And we need to understand how important that is. If you're an introvert here this morning, would you raise your hand? See, now think how stupid of a question that is. Okay, see? 
Don't we do that? Even at church, if we're not careful, we do that. We don't think of introverts, and we need to think of introverts all the time. Susan Cain's quote is this, the secret in life is to put yourself in the right lighting. For some, it's Broadway, spotlight, but for others, it's a lamp-lit desk. I believe Joseph was a light that was like a lamp-lit desk. There was a powerful quality in him, though he, I believe, was an introvert. I think he learned the power of listening more than just talking. But here's the quality that I love most when I think of Joseph, and that is simply this. Joseph did what was right, not what was easy. I'd like you to follow with me in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. And this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph's husband was a righteous man, and he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because that is what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. This was a man who did what was right, not what was easy. Now, here's what you need to understand about the Hebrew culture. And all the teenagers here today, I want you to listen about how uh, marriage was set up in the Hebrew culture. Your parents chose who you married. <laughs> Think about that one. Matter of fact, all the married couples at lunch today, I want you to hold each other's hand, look in each other's eyes, and say, do you think our folks would have chose each other? Do you think we would have been the ones that our folks would have connected? Maybe, maybe not. But in this culture, it was an arrangement that held a pledge. So once the parents agreed on the couple getting married, at that moment, they were considered engaged, and there was a one-year engagement period. Now think about that. And that engagement truly was a pledge. And you were actually, in the eyes of the Hebrew country, you were actually married. The only thing, you didn't have a physical relationship, but everything else, you were married. So when Joseph got word that Mary was with child, he had two options that he could have easily played out. Number one is, he could have actually had her killed. To completely, completely uh, honor his name, he could have had her killed. But he decided, there is no way I'm going to do that. So he decided, I will quietly divorce her. And that's when, again, God stepped in and said, you don't need to do that. This will take care of itself. But here's what's amazing. In verse 19, did you hear the word that describes Joseph? What's it say? He was a what? Righteous man. Now, that word righteousness, it means conduct that conforms to an accepted standard of right or wrong. Righteousness simply means this. You do what is right, not what is easy. You know how hard that is in life? To do what is right every day of your life and not run from that. Not to do the thing that is easy, but to do the thing that is right. Let me give you some stats that honestly should, um, should move you. High school dropout rate in the United States, they found out that 71% of the time comes from uh, boys and girls that are fatherless. Dad's not around. Juvenile detention, 
70% of those are from fatherless homes. In Georgia and Texas, Department of Corrections, 85% in their prison system come from fatherless homes. It doesn't take a man to have sex. It takes a man to be a dad. And tell you what, we live in a country that doesn't get that. And honestly, we live with a lot of men that don't realize the influence you have being a dad. Not doing what is easy, doing what is right every day. Not doing what is easy, not running, but doing what is right. Of all the things I love about Joseph, this was a man that took all of the, all of the ridicule and said, I'm going to do what is right. I am not going to do what is easy. There's a movie that has always uh, inspired me over the years, and uh, I love it, especially during the, around Memorial Day time, uh, and it's the, uh, it's the movie Saving Private Ryan. So I just want to show a clip from that uh, this morning. I pray that our Heavenly Father may assuage the anguish of your bereavement and leave you only the cherished memory of the loved and lost and the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice upon the altar of freedom. Abraham Lincoln, yours very sincerely and respectfully, George C. Marshall, General Chief of Staff. with you, I, I wasn't sure how I'd feel coming back here. Every day, I think about what you said to me that day on the bridge. I've tried to live my life the best I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes, I've earned what all of you have done for me. James. Captain John H. Miller. Tell you, at the end of the day, I've been doing this for a long time. 
And I tell you that it doesn't matter how much money you got in your bank account, and it doesn't matter in your obituary, it's got all these things you've done. You know what it matters at the end of the day for every man in this room? It's when your family and your friends will gather around and say, he was a good man. That's all that matters. The world's got all this, honestly, all this crap of what matters. That's what matters. Are you a good man? Are you willing to do what is right, not what is easy? Anybody can do what is easy. Are you willing to say, I'm going to do what is right? And it's the call for everybody in this room. We are called to do what is right, not what is easy. That's what we're called to do. In just a moment, we are going to gather for communion. And as you approach the communion table, I want you to think about what that means. That our prayer should be, Lord, I don't want to do what's easy. It's, it's so easy to give in to that. But Lord, I want to do what is right. What is he calling you to do this morning? To do what is right. So let me pray for you and then uh, prepare our hearts as we approach the communion tables. If you're a visitor with us this morning, we have tables around the room. It gives you a chance to move wherever is comfortable for you. But I want you to focus on what Christ has done for us as we strive to do what is right. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we know how hard it is sometimes in life because there's always easy ways to get out of things. But Lord, we just pray as we approach the table this morning that we, we come with the right heart to do what is right. And Lord, that's what we love about you. You forgive us. And when you forgive us, you give us a new start. Every day you give us a new start to start this journey to do what is right. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent us your son. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.